Hi, I'm Reverend Carol Saunders, host of The Spiritual Forum. I'm here with a lot of interesting people who are consciously walking the spiritual path, experiencing and expressing the divine in unique ways and through unique lenses. Everyone here has wisdom to share and an interesting story to tell, all to inspire you on your spiritual path. Welcome to the Forum. Welcome to the Spiritual Forum, everyone. I'm so glad you're here. I just want to remind you of one thing, and that is that you can subscribe to my newsletter at thespiritualforum.org. And in that newsletter, you'll get the latest episode, you'll get my thoughts about it, you'll get an affirmation or a, a nice spiritual thought for the week, and links to the video and also short clips and things like that. So go to thespiritualforum.org and click subscribe. So I'm going to get right into introducing my guest. And this is Guy Finley, and I brought Guy back. I'm very excited about this. He was, I think, at episode 209, where he told his story, and we talked about Fearless Living, that book, and it was a really great, engaging conversation. I invite you to go there. Just briefly, Guy Finley was born into a successful show business family. He had a successful early career as an award-winning composer. He also scored several motion pictures and TV shows and wrote and recorded his own albums under the Motown and RCA labels, and that was kind of a, a past life. At the age of young age of 27, Guy hung it all up and pursued the inner spiritual journey. I just find stories like that really, really fascinating, and I think 27 is really young to, to hang up the, the corporate world or the, the, the hamster wheel <laughs> to go and do this inner spiritual work. Guy is now the founder and director of Life of Learning Foundation, which is a nonprofit center for spiritual discovery. He's an acclaimed author of over 45 books. And as I mentioned, his story is told in greater detail in episode 209 of the Spiritual Forum. Today, we're going to be focusing on this wonderful book called The Courage to Be Free, Discover Your Original Fearless Self. And I'm sure our conversation will take all sorts of directions. There's tons of spiritual gems in this book. Welcome, Guy. Thank you, Carol. Nice to see you again. Nice to hear your voice. I'm glad to have this time with you. Yeah, it's great to, to see you again, too, in your beautiful Oregon home. I love it. Indeed. <laughs> so let's talk about your book, The Courage to Be Free. I was really attracted to this one because I love the words courage, and I also love the words freedom, and I think they definitely go together. And you start off the book by asking a provocative question, do you have the courage to be free? And I think if people just paused right there and really gave that some deep consideration, because I don't think most people have a quick yes or no answer to that. I think everybody says they want to be free. <laughs> they want to experience yeah. freedom. But do they have the courage to be free? So can you talk a little bit about, first, what you consider freedom is and why you bring in the term courage to attain freedom? I'm glad to. So a quick story to set the stage. A true story. Back in the day when I was still a rocker and roller on Motown Records, and I had this beautiful home in Malibu. I guess I was, a, oh, I don't know, 23, 24 years old. 
hard to believe that's 50 years ago, isn't it? Yeah, that Sorry. is hard. <laughs> so I was getting already to the end of a certain rope, and my mother, who loved my Malibu home and had always coveted it, <laughs> I, I, I told her, look, why don't you stay for a while, and because it may be that I'm going to want to get rid of this, and you love it, and you can have it. So she did, and we had these neighbors, Juan and Giselle. Oh my God, I can't believe I remember their names. And and he was this big, burly Russian Spaniard with eyebrows that went up in about four feet, like out of a character out of Hunger Games, you know, just, well, apparently, apparently mother had had an encounter with him where he told her that our property line uh, had put a fence two feet onto his, and he was threatening to sue her. And I, I told my mother, I said, you know, don't worry this, Mom. I've got a handle. I'm going to go over there. I'm going to straighten this man out. Who does he think he is to intimidate you? He doesn't frighten me. <laughs> so over after I told her, and this was after telling her several times, you need to go do this. She said, I just can't. So that's what, how we got there. I'll do it. So over I go, and I sit down in his big living room, sitting on this chair. And long story short, all I did was fawn for 30 minutes. Never said anything that I said I was going to say. Never demanded that he stop treating my mother like that. And when I went home, she goes, how did it go? And the best I could say was, well, he's thinking about it. <laughs> so I just out and out lied. Now, the reason I say that is because it's one thing for us to imagine ourselves being someone. And it's another thing to realize that the courage born out of being identified with an image is actually fear. Because the more we're identified with any particular image, the far more likely it is that conditions will challenge that image and the identity connected to it subsequently. And then you'll find yourself on your heels instead of leaning into the battle. And that's why it takes courage to be free, because it requires beginning to see that you are not even remotely free, that what you have is a dream about yourself as being someone dedicated to the spiritual world or dedicated to friends and family, failing to see that at the drop of a hat, quite literally, you can be turned around, spun, dropped on your knees and then find yourself equivocating, justifying, explaining, and then saying, I'll be better and different next time. And again, the reason it takes the courage to be free is because there is no next time. You are working and experiencing a certain kind of freedom in the moment, or you have resisted the condition revealing your captivity and will never know the difference between discovery versus trying to prove yourself again. Are you familiar with David Hawkins' Map of Consciousness? No. Yeah, it's interesting. Is he a uh, the physicist? Reason, no, he's, he's actually like a psychologist, and he had this model that he created. And I don't need to go too far into this, but it's so interesting because he has a, a, a stack of emotional states. And I think at the bottom is shame, and I think at the top is enlightenment. And all the emotional states at the bottom 
are all about being uh, victimized, like, like the world is happening to me and I don't have any agency. And all the ones at the top or you know, higher levels, and it's all about I can kind of co-create. But the, the, the point where it moves from the life is happening to me to I am creating life, that pivotal point is courage. And I think that's what's so interesting. It's like to move from being victimized, to move from, from this model where I'm, I'm trapped or not being myself, or I'm blaming and shaming and, and just the world is happening to me, I have no agency. Yeah. To move from that to the next level, you're moving up these levels of consciousness, courage is the one where when you step into courage, now you're on the spiritual path. But here's the rub. You cannot step into courage without becoming completely conscious of fear. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, without mm -hmm. the awareness of what is bullying you. Mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. funny that the conversation took this turn. I know that you, you know I speak three times a week. And this, the next time I'm going to speak is going to be about these interior bullies that we don't know. So it is impossible, quite literally, to summon courage until you see how you have agreed without knowing it mm -hmm. to be compromised into a life where everything that's wrong is outside of you, everything that's being done to you is against you, and you have no recourse but to resist, react, and then try to redefine yourself according to the images that are the very nature of your captivity to begin with. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I'm wondering if you'd be willing to tell the story that you tell in the beginning of your book, or if that'd be giving too much, the story about Solomon and the owl and the eagles. Oh, I don't mind. If I, if I was in this to make money, I wouldn't give everything <laughs> away like I do. I think there's uh, so much in the story. I mean, uh, look, I was very graced as a young, as a young person because my journey honestly began around the age of 11, where I encountered repeatedly individuals who were quite far along the way, if not fully illumined, and I'm not going to name names, but everybody would know them, that I was friends with. And they gave freely. There was never any, this is 50 bucks, this is 40 bucks, you know, you want to be with me for a weekend, it's just going to set you back $1,500. If anybody wants to be with me for the weekend, it'll set you back $9 and you don't even have to pay that. So the point is this. Freely I was given, freely I give. The story that you're referring to is based on a character that I use quite a bit. I'm a storyteller. It's the best way to express emotion, intellectual, and even physical ideas in a single throw. So Solomon represents wisdom, Sophia. He is the all-seeing owl who covers the entire forest and coastal area in the area he lives. And there's a lot of Solomons. You know, it's not, he's not the only Solomon. And his job is to ensure that there is a relative peace in the country. And he does that by interacting with the various characters that live in the forest on the coast, when he hears, when he's flying over silently, some kind of crying or moaning, or he sees something that's just out of place. So that's Solomon. So here's Solomon flying along one day, 
And he looks down, he looks down on the ground, and there's a half a dozen eagles, and they're all walking, and they've got like a raincoat on, and they're carrying a book. And now, you know, you know something's wrong if you see eagles with raincoats, oh, goggles, glasses, <laughs> and carrying a book. So he, he swoops down. I mean, you know, I could do this for like 30 minutes. So I'll try to be as quick as I can. Well, you know, it's always new because you always, even as I'm telling stories I've told, I see new things in them. Swoops down, you guys, what's going on? And they say, what's the problem? He says, well, first of all, where are you going? We're going to the river by the coast there to get the fish. Well, why are you walking? Well, long story short, the eagles had been engaged by the crows who resent very much and resist the presence of the eagles because they get to the food faster. They're, they have better eyes. They cover more ground. And the crows convinced the eagles that if they want to be safe and secure, they need to protect themselves from the weather. So they sold them raincoats. They need glasses so they can see better, but nobody has better eyes than eagles, but these will improve your, your vision, God. And then at last, uh, a map, a, a book of maps, so they know how to get to the coast through the forest. Well, you know, when you hear that, you realize, well, that's pretty stupid. How, <laughs> how stupid can the eagles be? Well, you have to ask yourself, you know, how, <laughs> you know, how many things have you bought into that this world tells you will free you, will make your life easier? So Solomon tries to straighten them out. They're not hearing him. He flies around and he happens to hear the crows in a conference. You know, the crows, they're, they're, when they gather, it's called the murder of crows. Did you know that? No, I did not. Isn't that, isn't that an interesting term for a gathering of crows? A murder of crows. Somebody knew something. Anyway, and he hears them, you know, caw, caw, cawing, laughing at what they've done to the eagles. He goes back and he tries to, he tells them the deal there. By and large, they finally get it. They cast off their raincoats, their goggles, their maps, and they do what they've been created to do. They don't need to create freedom for themselves. They are created free. They don't need to create for themselves a way to get to places where they will get what they need. Their very nature places them all the time where their vision alone allows them to be nourished by their environment. So it was just a little allegory about how this consciousness that is intended to be an eagle consciousness, a lioness consciousness, has been co-opted by a relationship with this conditional world and all of the images that we have swallowed and bought lock, stock, and barrel that we have taken on as our own, failing to see that our lives aren't easier because we're protected. Our lives aren't easier because we think we see what's wrong. Our lives have become harder relative to all the things we have tried to amass and identify with that has stolen our freedom instead of enlarge or enhance it. That's the story of Solomon. I love that story. I love it because you can write a book and say, you know, you need to be your authentic self. You need to express how you were divinely created. These are things that we say all the time. But when you put it in story like that, 
and you're actually envisioning these eagles that are bound by all of these cultural traps and all the inner, the traps of the inner voice, then you can really see it. It's like, oh my gosh, I see what people are saying, you know? It's unfathomable if you think to yourself about yourself, but you look at an eagle and an eagle is dependent upon a raincoat when it has feathers and a body designed to shed the storm. But we have become dependent on what we believe protects us, failing to see that we have been sold the idea that who we are, our true nature, needs protection from the storms. We don't need protection from the storms. We're designed to use them and to be developed by them so we discover in greater and increasing measure the true worth and value of this soul that we have been given as human beings. Yeah, and the eyes, you know, we have the eyes to see truth and the map, the the book and the map, it's like, do we need an external book, an external thought system, an external guru or whatever it is that's telling us where to go? We have it within us. Yeah, I, I just see it so clearly when you tell the story about the eagles. It's just so much, it's just so much more clear than saying, everyone just, you know, take hold of your divine self. It's like, how do I do that? Yeah, but see, just quickly, so that's what the world sells you. It sells you, all you have to do is think of yourself as being divine. All you have to do is console yourself with the temporary sensation of being someone special and unique. When the very activity of the mind has to be divided in order to embrace an image, And by embracing the image of my divinity, then I am threatened by anything that suddenly shows me who I've imagined myself to be, like me in with Juan and Giselle. It's a Mm -hmm. pipe dream. And you either, you either, you know, shed all that stuff because you realize I'm not going to find what my heart of heart longs for by continuing to dress myself, disguise myself, believe in myself in all of the ways that this world has conditioned me to do so that it, by the way, can then continue to sell me maps, raincoats, and goggles. Yeah, I think you're right. The whole spiritual world also has its maps, raincoats, and goggles. Yes, it, oh boy. God, Carol, stories I could tell you, but we're not here to create differences. We're here to find out where it is that something in us wants to create differences yeah, so that we can stand out as someone different than what we judge. Yeah, yeah. So your book, The Courage to Be Free, Discover Your Original Fearless Self. So the idea is, or the truth is, we, we have what you call original equipment. Like we, our original equipment is what we were created to be by the creator, by the divine, yes. by life itself. And you say that the key lessons are that no psychological fear is part of your original equipment, no painful resentment or regret is part of your original equipment, and no anxiety with its painful rushing around is part of your original equipment. And yet we live in psychological fear, resentment, regret, and anxiety. So what are we going to do? What are we going to do? That's the question. Well, either it's true or not. You can't convince somebody 
they'll tell you all day long, yeah, I don't want to be afraid. And I'm, I'm taking steps. I'm going to learn how to swim with sharks. I'm reading the next book on how to have successful habits. I'm doing all of these things in order to deal with my fear. And the assumption in that conversation is that it's my fear. It is not my fear. It is, in one respect, our fear that is part of a collective unconscious conditioning predicated on the idea that I have to do something to become someone. Mm-hmm. We, we come into this world from the beginning. I, I, I can attest to this in ways that would blow people's minds because how and when and where I was born and the silver spoon that was in my mouth. You talk about, you know, son, you're, this, is, this is you and you're destined to be more than this. This is your future. Just You're going you're gonna to be greater than I am. And, and a boy doesn't know that his father is an alcoholic or that he yells at his mother, or that he sells his soul at a restaurant by giving away $20 to a waiter so the waiter will think he's special. All of the ways in which we've been inculcated, believing that if we could just condition others sufficiently, that we would escape the conflict in being a conditioned human being. Mm -hmm. And then gradually seeing, God willing, Either this is true or it is not. Am I afraid to go into the next minute, the next day, the next week? Am I afraid to go in without plans and preparation? I must do what's practical, but where does fear and anxiety play into what's practical? So for us, the great shift has been that we now believe fear and anxiety are practical when they can be nothing but a a source of theft that in turn, because we believe and identify with them, we must buy our raincoats and our maps because otherwise we're in jeopardy. So the whole illusion is that we're in jeopardy, but that the courage requires risking every time the crows show up saying, I'm on my own. I don't need you. When was the last time that anyone, and I leave it to the listeners, were, was visited by a fear? Something, hey, what about this? And what, look at this, the world. And you quietly, inwardly recognize that that voice is not intrinsic to your true nature. And that if you're present to what it is creating in you in that moment, as opposed to what it's promising you in a time to come, then in the awareness of something that is trying to create more conflict, you're done with it. Because higher consciousness will not compromise itself. Mm-hmm. Real awareness cannot agree darkness any more than light would be overwhelmed by a shadow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is interesting how we are barraged with information, with news, with with anything to make us afraid. There's a, there's a fear industry out there. It's like, what can we do today? It almost looks like, what can we do today to make everybody afraid? And that we really kind of buy into it. You can feel it. That's... People need to feel it. Yeah. And then, and then to, to realize, I mean, to realize that, so first of all, it's normalized. Like fear is normalized. Worry is normalized. 
what are you worrying about today? What are you afraid yes. of today? And it's a lot of what we even talk about, yeah. like what's going to yeah. happen? What's going to happen if so-and-so gets in power? What's going to happen if That's so-and-so we... does that? Yeah, it's all we talk about. Yeah, it's all we talk about. But I don't think we know that. Yeah. I don't think we're aware that we're talking about fear. We think we're just talking about the stuff that's happening. Exactly. Yeah. We think we're talking about what we need to do to be free of fear, never realizing that it's fear doing the thinking. Yeah. So it's almost like, I mean, it's almost like we've set this up so that we can make another choice. So when there's this barrage of stuff that comes to us and we start feeling the fear that then we can go, oh, gosh, thank you for all that, because now I can see that is not my truth. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's exactly right. There's a, a pivotal point. There's a pivotal point in every last one of these moments. And I, I you know, I don't want to go too deep here, but what we call our awareness of a moment is simply an instant in which we become conscious to some extent of our relationship to our environment. So that as a rule, the minute I feel some form of resistance, there is an optimal, at that second choice, a possibility. The choice is, do I simply go the path of least resistance and default into another choice? Or do I see being offered another fake future embraced by a false personality that can do nothing but perpetuate itself and its endless conflict with everything that challenges the image of itself. So that's really the telling point. That's where the courage comes in, Carol. Mm -hmm. Because most of us, when that happens, I, most of it, I don't want to know. I don't want to deal with it. Or if I'm type A, let me add it. I'll go fix it. And both of those default binary reactions are dead in the water because they both belong to the same level of consciousness, simply divided up into, I'm strong, I'm a victim. I can uh -huh. control, this is out of control. It's all the same predicated on some sense of self that's being made a victim by what the moment is bringing in order to release us from all of these, from legion, from all of these eyes that live inside of this consciousness. Well, I'm also thinking it takes courage to step away from the conversation because it's so normalized that we talk about these things with each other. Does it take courage to drop a hot skillet? Does it take courage to drop a hot skillet? It doesn't take cur courage to drop a hot skillet. I mean, wait, because of what's going to happen, you mean? No, there's no what's going to happen. I pick up a hot skillet with my hand oh, and, and my hot. body before yeah. I... Oh, got yeah, it. Yeah. Before I even know it, my body, my body says, I don't care that you spent three hours cooking that dish. This right. is over because it won't, it won't harm itself. Yeah. We don't know that we're self-harming because we believe we're self-helping. Uh-huh. So it doesn't take courage to stop hurting myself. But it does require a moment where, let's say I'm an addict of some kind. And one day I have that epiphany. What I thought was empowering me is killing me. But I'm yes. terrified to live without that identity. So right. there's that pivotal moment, that, that fork in the road, which path do I take? 
But at a certain point, if I keep taking the path that promises painlessness downstream, but I keep coming to that fork where I'm in pain again because of what I am doing and agreeing to be done to myself, then at that point, it's no longer about what I am going to one day be free because of. At that point, it's very much like Paul on the road to Damascus. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, I see. And suddenly, I realize I've been blind. And I am blind to everything that I have agreed to be dependent upon and codependent with. At that point, it begins to break down. Now, there's no, let's get this straight, everybody. There's no drive-through McDonald's end of misery happy meal. No such thing exists. There is the persistent, consistent wish and work to be present and mindful enough because you realize after a certain amount of time that it is when I am not present to myself that I turn out to be someone who is punishing himself. The more aware I am, the less likely it is to create heartache for myself by consoling myself with tomorrow when my torment's finally free. Yes, I get all that. And I guess what I was thinking is when people are in conversation together and that they are in a social situation, to, to, be, to be to the place where I'm going to now not engage in something that everybody wants to engage in, and I don't want to. I'm not going to do that. I see that's not good for me anymore. I think that's one of the first steps that people have to make to say, I'm not going to, I'm sure. not going to surround myself with that conversation of anxiety and fear and, you know, the sky is falling. I'm going to move away from that. Just like the hot skillet's not going <laughs> to help out my hand, this conversation's not going to help <laughs> me out. Yeah. Well, that is kind of a, a, don't mean to be frivolous, kind of a, a dark night of the soul at Alphonse's Spanish food, you know, because, I, see, this is what I'm saying. Courage isn't about what I can do. Courage is about what I can no longer do. So it's not something that I'm identifying with as being courageous. Rather, it's seeing how I have continued to compromise myself. I mm -hmm. can't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. So that maybe one day, it's not just a question of not participating in that idle gossip and the fear-mongering. One day, I don't want to hang out with those people. That's another right. step, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Because suddenly... That's all I know myself by. So we begin to see that my exterior world is really a fractal of my interior world, where I'm surrounded by thoughts and feelings, my company, that continually promise and console me, just like I live in a world where everybody's promising tomorrow will be better if only each of us were made king or queen for a day. And of course, it's ludicrous, but we don't think it's ludicrous to think that just because I can judge something means I'm superior to it. The fact is, if I'm judging something, I'm not superior to it. I am that which I judge because I'm resisting the condition and I can't resist anything that doesn't have a corresponding aspect in my consciousness. Yes, yeah. We talked a lot about resistance in our, in our first episode, and I think it's also a part of your, your book. For sure. Resistance and regret and... You know, I think anxiety and worry is so interesting. I, I was raised in a worrying household. I remember, I remember my mom. My mom was a worrier. My dad worried when my mom was gone. And they thought this was like, 
this is like some, I'm trying to remember what they used to say about worry. It, it was something like, this is what, this is what keeps us alive, or this is what shows our love yeah, or something it. like that. There was some justification for the worry. Without this, I would be alive. Yeah. No, with this, you are dead and on your way to death. Yeah. Factually. It's, yeah. it's stealing. We just, I'll throw this in. One of the reasons it requires courage to be free is because one of the very first steps along the way to this fork in the road is to get over this idea that somehow or other, it's just me, I'm just for myself, and anything that causes conflict is a condition exterior to myself. Because if it were really just up to me, everything would be the way it's meant to be. Then I wouldn't be in pain. Failing to see that there is something that goes before us rather than make the crooked places straight, always demanding the place I'm in straighten out according to my view and image of how life should be. And we mm -hmm. can't believe there is this essential conflict in a mind that is divided up into who it imagines itself to be and what it runs into that confirms it or denies it and then gives, gives way to the next set of glasses, raincoats, and maps. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So in your work, do you help people or do you support people in this process when they come to that fork in the road or the, 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 the two rivers that diverge? That's all we do. It's all you do. It is. That's all we do. Mm -hmm. I talk for free three or four times a week. We offer all of the materials, the foundation. Not, I don't take a penny from my, my own works. Everything's sold at a price that you, you can't even buy it. I mean, everything about it. That's what, that's what I mean, it, I don't know if this is a good segue or not, Carol. You can shut me down if you need to. I was just reading something uh, that someone had sent me after listening to a talk. It was uh, about by Viktor Frankl. I mean, when you when you see what it what is, awareness makes your choices for you. Mm. Man gets lost in the desert, plane crashes with a bag of diamonds in a leather pouch. He loves his diamonds because they promise a rich future. But then he comes across a, a small oasis, a small pond, and he has to make up his mind. Do I empty this leather pouch and take the life-giving water with me and give up the diamonds? But if he's aware of his condition, diamonds aren't valuable anymore. Well, well, if I'm actually aware of my condition on this earth and what I'm really here to do, I have to give up all of these things that I thought my life was about. Now, don't get nervous, listeners. You can't do this anyway, not all at once. It's not you. Christ himself says, it isn't I who do th these things, but my Father who does these things. You can't do these things. It's like impossible. Ludicrous. We've been trying to do these good things all of our lives. They don't work when you try to do the good, but when you can no longer cooperate with what makes you a captive of your own consciousness, then you're no longer a captive of the world selling you things to make your prison cell more desirable. So what I do with my life is an extension of what I've been given to see. And that's all it is. And that's all I want it to be. I'm not claiming to be some free, magnificently enlightened creature. 
But I am saying that in some respects, I have broken through to another world and I understand things now that make my life on this earth, even though it's not all sun, you know, it's not all a graph and sun, whatever they say that, you know, I wouldn't change places with any human being on the planet. And I think that when an aspirant gets to that point, then they have achieved at least to that extent what they have been given this life for, which is to cherish the life they have been given, not only as it is, but as it continues to be given, revealing that they no longer need to carry with them any of these identities or images that were so valuable and made them a victim in the past. That's wonderful. That's that's it. That's the message. I love that. And I, I love that you're accessible. I, I, I have many people approach me to be on my podcast and I go look at their website and I go, wow, you know, they're very inaccessible <laughs> in terms of what they're offering people and how much they're charging and, and all of that. And it does make me kind of wonder about, you know, spiritual truth. It's not like you shouldn't be able to make a living or I shouldn't be able to make a living, but there is something kind of interesting about having the entry point being so high that some people, you know, create that for their information, their knowledge, their awareness. Should we, shall I, shall, shall I say something else about that? Sure. Love is the payment. Love is the payment. When you really love something, you know, you look out at like yesterday, the sunrise here. Oh, it was unbelievable because we've had these clouds and rain. It's unbelievable. You, when you, when you see something beautiful, you're not a human being if you don't want to share it. Mm. So if you see something that is beautiful spiritually, because it has been given to you freely, then if you try to sell what you've been given, not only did you not get what you thought you were given, but you are giving away every possibility of ever being in a deeper, ever de a developing relationship with the divine that is trying endlessly to bring you into relationship with this revelation of the divine's life. That's what this world is. That's what our consciousness is, a mirror and an image, perfectly married, where one is seen, one is reflected, one is realized, and it is endless. Then what are you going to sell? My kids will get after me I for know. this. Yeah, well, it's it is interesting. I mean, when you look at the the gospels and you look at you know the life of of Jesus, and no matter what you really believe about that, he was he was giving freely of his his truth, his love. He was giving freely, and and there are people who probably I'm sure they wanted to bottle that up. <laughs> let's charge for that. Let's let's we can make a business out of that. I'm sure a lot of that happened. Not you can be sure. What do you think? regular mechanical religion is. Mm -hmm. It is taking mm -hmm. some precious water that a man or a woman here or there stumbled upon or was graced to be given and then gave it freely. But then someone said, well, you know, if I can figure out a way to make it seem like I know something about this that you don't, or I can create fear in you by threatening you, if you don't understand this, you're dead, then I can sell that protection. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much a good description of mechanical religion today, which is why, by the way, there's so much pain and violence surrounding it. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. Yeah. My, I, my, my own, what do they call that? When you, 
when you sell a, oh, I just blocked on the word. A company okay. sells the right to open a franchise. That's the word I was looking for. The, the, there are franchises for raincoats, goggles, and maps. Yeah. And they all have different names, different religions, different spiritual coding, all the rest of that. It's all the same crud. Yeah, it is. And it, 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 it's, it's religion, it's corporations, it's government, it's all these things that are here to protect us. And, and the truth is yeah. we are already free. We are already, I, I mean, let, let, me, let me put this same way. Do you think that we are already protected? Yes, we're already protected. The eagles are protected by their natural given feathers. They're protected by who they were created to be. And we are created, we are protected as who we are created to be. Yes, but protection doesn't mean it's done. Protection means it is my nature to be able to transform everything that comes to me into something that enlarges my understanding and my ego-like nature, if you will. But of myself, I don't expand my ego-like nature. I don't flap my wings and set people free. All I am is someone who is able to see that we are given all that we need every moment in order to leave behind what no longer serves us. So there's a distinct relationship between the moment of resistance and release. And when we understand that we are here to assist the resistance, like a midwife would, instead of identify with the reaction and deny the condition, then we are reborn. When we learn what it means to assist the moment, to take our part in the natural, endless, perfectly unified, macrocosmic relationship that we are a part of, then we're not worried about what's going to take place a minute from now or what took place 10 minutes ago. We're too busy just being alive the way God has given us a life to participate in. I love the midwife reference. I love that reference mm. that we are here to assist. Absolutely. You said even assist the resistance, you said. Is that what you said? When the resistance arises? Yeah. Look, here comes a moment I don't want every day, a hundred times. <laughs> What's the first thing that comes up in me? Yeah. Resistance. Back off. Yeah. Resistance is like having a store with a sign that stays closed so no one ever knows that you're open. We need to be open. But to be open, we need to understand the nature of resistance, independent of what our conditioned reactions tell us is causing it. Reactions say the reason we're in this pain is because there's a person, a place, or a problem outside of us. Intelligence understands the condition is revealing the content of the consciousness that is intended to be able to use the moment to discover and see the truth of itself so that it can go on to the next stage. Resistance is an indication of unfinished business. That's how I like to put it. Yeah, and I mean, like the resistor in an electrical circuit is impeding the flow of electrons. <laughs> so, I mean, that's another, that's another good metaphor. I, I, there's, there's one thing I want to talk about that I, I was really kind of taken by, and it's this quote, it's impossible to imagine a future wholeness without feeling in the present moment strangely incomplete as though we're missing something essential. And I thought that was really interesting. This is in your book because I think this is how we use our imagination sometimes. 
that we try to imagine right. something that's more amazing than now or some sort of future that we want to create. But what that does is causes us to feel bad or missing or not whole now. I, this, is a, yeah. this is something that I had to work through a lot in my ministry where I had a, a vivid imagination and a dream about what I was creating. And it's always great to have yeah. an imagination and a dream. But it can be so, it can come right back at you like a tidal wave because you just are so dissatisfied with the present. If you've had a nice meal and you're sitting there at the table, although God help us, I know people, <laughs> I know people who even after they finished eating can't stop talking about food. Now, do I need food after I've eaten or have I served the purpose of the moment? So. Imagination is the way that something that is empty fills itself with the idea of a time when it will be whole. Uh -huh. So it's like eating, it's like looking at a menu and thinking, boy, I'm satisfied now. The menu can't satisfy you. There's no tomorrow outside of imagination. So what is it that looks for a better tomorrow other than something that is starving in this moment? for a sense of life. And, I, and, and I, I'll tell you this, there is nothing more amazing than now. We just don't know how to be in it. Yeah, we're all over the place. We're in the past, we're in the future. All over yep. the place. All yeah. over the place. Yeah, we aren't here. I've, I've, often, I've often talked about imagination. I've imagined that at the end of our life, we, we actually get to find out how old we are. And how old we are is how many moments we were in the present. And so we, most of us are very young because we had very few moments that we experienced in the present moment. The other times we were somewhere else. I don't mind that metaphor. You're, what you're saying is that the only thing that's truly vital is the depth, the degree, and the amount of discovery in these real impressions that we have. And most of us have, if we're lucky, 10 real impressions in a lifetime, mm -hmm. where if mm -hmm. we're at present, we have 10 new impressions every single day, and God willing, one day, our life is nothing but this revelation of impression in mm -hmm. which we are pressed upon by our relationship that this life is revelation, it is impression, and they're not separate. Therefore, we're not separate from the divine creator. Yes, yes. And for anybody who's listening, just ask yourself how many days go by where you just have no real memory of it or nothing that really impressed upon your heart yeah. about it. And then think about, yes. I think about the, those crystalline moments that I've had in my life and you can identify them. And there aren't as many as I'd like for them to be, but it's because I wasn't present. These are the times I was present and I have a very strong impression about it and I was yeah. fully alive. Yeah. Yes. Let's bring it back into the context of all we've been talking about. Mm -hmm. It's not that the impressions aren't there. It's that I'm convinced to look away. Mm -hmm. The crows got me. Mm -hmm. don't, look at, don't look at that. You're not supposed to be that kind of person. Don't look at the way the world is. Just get a little more of this and that, and then you can isolate yourself from all these criminal institutions. And the whole mindset is a criminal institution. 
disguising itself as a spiritual person or the promise of a better life to come in imagination 10 days, 10 years from now. Well said. Well said. So we have like five minutes or so. What else would you like to, to share with everybody? You know, here's, here's what I would say. Find out what it costs to no longer try to continue that fearful, anxious, worried, ambitious sense of self. And as best you can, whatever coin you can come up with in the moment where it presses its painful nature in upon yourself, pay what little you can. And if you pay a little bit in that moment, which is courageous, you will have more coin in your pocket the next time. And you will find that your true nature is this kind of cornucopia of a certain kind of spiritual capital that is unending according to your willingness to use it unendingly. That's what I would say. Okay. And, and tell everybody also how they can reach you or be a part of your work or how to access your book, those kinds of things. Well, as, as always, I, I have no idea. I do know I'm online. I'm streaming. And if you go to guyfinley.org forward slash classes, I think that's it. Okay. Or forward slash let go. One way or another, just find me online. I'm, I'm fairly ubiquitous at this point. But guyfinley.org is my website. And you can spend 10 years there just going through the free material. I, I have and sponsor a wisdom school that you can belong to for less than a cup of coffee a month with online study groups that aren't available to the public. And if you want this book, The Courage to Be Free, and I hope you have the URL because I don't have it. If you want to buy it in the store, it's 15 bucks. You can right. get it through my foundation ship, including for like 5 or $6 or something like that. I just don't have the URL in front of me. I'm trusting that it. you have it. I, I, I pulled up Barbara's okay. note. She says, we have a special for listeners of your podcast to purchase the hardcover book of Courage at $5.99, which is 60% off the regular price at guyfinley.org slash courage. And then she said, <laughs> then she says right. it would be great if Guy could say a bit about his free twice-weekly online classes which can be accessed at guyfinley.org slash let go. <laughs> okay, there you go. So there you go. And like I said, you know, what do you want? I think all of us have to ask ourselves that a hundred times a day when suddenly something tells us we're missing something or we have to go get something to make something more of ourselves. When you understand, if this world could have completed you, Sweet God, it would have done so a thousand years ago. It cannot. But you can use this world to discover what is complete in you and find a way to constantly participate in this rebirth, this ceaseless completion of a consciousness designed to reflect revelation, realization, integration, and ultimately your true self at the root of that. Yes. Ultimately, your true self. And then I'll, I want to close with that question that you asked in the beginning. Do you have the courage to be free? I think that's the question that 
that everyone, I invite everyone to be asking themselves right now, do you have the courage to be free? Indeed, indeed. And so, you know, for me, I'm sure it was the same for you. Somewhere along the line, you got a little taste of something and that taste was unlike anything else you ever tasted. And when you've had a little taste of the truth, I don't care how much the bottle of wine is, if the world made it, it ain't it. Uh-huh. And you can find that, find that, that divine wine cellar and spend all the time you want in it as long as you're willing to spend time there instead of trying to make money to buy wine so you can get drunk <laughs> and forget how unhappy you are. <laughs> There it is. <laughs> those are the two. Those are the. That's the fork there in the road. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. Thank you for for being with me today. Thank you for your wonderful book. It's what I what I love about this book. I mentioned this before we started recording. It is short. It is succinct, and it is packed with gems. It starts off with that wonderful story of Solomon the Eagles that really will reverberate because it's like something I think about a lot during my day. And I also just want to acknowledge and appreciate you for making your work available to people, you know, not making it so hard for people who have a thirst yeah. for this to, to have access to it, because so many people do. And I just love that you do that. We are lucky that we have a love that transcends most of our other desires and that we can use this life as we are all invited to do, to be, to sit at that table and partake in a life unlike anything else this world has to offer. Then you can be in this world, but not of it, which Mm -hmm. is the work. Anyway, thanks, Carol. You're always delightful, and it was fun spending time with you. It was lots of fun. Yeah, and thank you you all our listeners. We'll have everything on the the show notes. Come come visit sometime. I speak for free here at the foundation. Talk to Babs. We'll, we'll, We'll get you all set up. You would love okay, it great. Here. I'll Good do that. People. Yeah, I'll come visit. Okay. Thank you, everyone. And I now close the spiritual forum and join me next week with my next guest. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, you can let me know by leaving a positive rating and review on your favorite podcast app or make a tax deductible donation at thespiritualforum.org. The Spiritual Forum is a podcast, prayer, and retreat ministry affiliated with Unity Worldwide Ministries. Thank you again for being a part of the Spiritual Forum community. And remember, you are an amazing, divine, and powerful being.